After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. (laughs) I mean, you know, just hanging out, just waiting to see if anybody's going to come by. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see, if you want, the place where he was laying. Check it out. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Tell them this. He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Go quickly. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell his disciples the news. But just then, while they were trying to obey and go tell the news... Jesus stopped them and said, howdy. Just, you know, just another day. How you doing? They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Grace Church exists to help people grow one step closer to Jesus. This is his day. But it's your day too. And it's been our prayer that this morning you would do just as the women did when they, when they came into contact with the risen Lord, that you would take hold of Jesus this morning and that you would worship him. So we're going to give you a chance to do that, this team up here. So why don't you stand, and before we start worshiping Jesus, why don't you say howdy to someone next to you? Thank you, Brother Jim. Oh, man, we just have, I mean, I know there's other good churches out there for sure, but we have the best pastors here at Grace Church. I'm just telling you, like, I get to work. <laughs> I get to work with Jim and George. I, man, what a great life I live. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew which is Matthew's biography of the life of Jesus. And I'm going to have you go near the end of that story to chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles under the chairs in front of you. And you can turn to page 885 in that Bible, and you'll be right where you need to be. Now, if you're familiar with Matthew's story, shoot, if you're familiar at all with Christianity, you know that the end of the story of Jesus is the story of him rising from the dead, right? That's why we're here this morning. But in order to understand an aspect of why that is so important, you need to have a little context first. Particularly, you need to know that he died in the first place, just to state the obvious, which is also something that you are probably familiar with, the cross of Jesus. It's what we talked about on Good Friday. And in order to understand part of what's going on in the resurrection, you need to understand not only how he died, the cross, 
but part of why he died. And the why I'm looking for is why did they want to kill him? What? Why did they want Jesus dead? On Good Friday, we looked at the death of Jesus in Matthew's story, also found in chapter 27. We saw the powerful presence and testimony of God himself through supernatural manifestations in nature, darkness descending, earth quaking, rocks splitting, temple curtain tearing, tombs opening, battle-hardened Roman soldiers testifying and believing. Clearly something far beyond the normal was happening. And everyone there at that hill knew it. And it was reverberating throughout the people and rulers and governing authorities of the city. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day on Saturday, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember while this deceiver... (sighs) Wow. This deceiver was still alive. He said, after three days... I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people, he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate said to them, just not wanting to be bothered. Go and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guards. So again, I ask, what is all this about? I mean, what what is the problem that they have with Jesus? You see, a big part of the story is how Jesus was changing things. He was upsetting how so many, particularly religious people and religious leaders, understood everything. For they could not see in Jesus and his ministry what he was teaching And what he was proclaiming, they could not see God working in it. Right? What did they call him? This deceiver. All they could see in Jesus was their lives changing, their power removed, their control destroyed, their understanding shaken, their normal way of life, their routines, traditions, celebrations, meetings, calendars, holidays, all of it, their normal way of life forever altered and changed because of the possibility that they had misread things, misunderstood things, hadn't properly discerned from God what he was doing and intending all along, that there was a next step in his plan. There was a way that he was telling the story, a way that he was going to bring about the best of all possible worlds in a way that they hadn't foreseen. You see, it, it wasn't that they didn't think a Messiah was coming, that the world would be turned upside down, that, that God wouldn't invade and bring about his purposes. It was that they could not accept that Jesus was part of that story a part of that kind of bringing about the best in the story, that God was up to something for them in it all through Jesus. And it seemed from what had happened on Friday, the cataclysmic events that had occurred that day, the witness of God in creation, the witness from Jesus' own mouth, the witnesses from atheistic soldiers turned believers, it seemed so clear that things were changing. That life was going to be forever altered, which, which would mean that the events of Friday were changing everything. But 
Even after all of those dramatic events on Friday, it appeared the religious leaders could now rest because of the cross. It was over now. Jesus was over now. Apparently, it hadn't changed everything. What a relief. Boy, we dodged a bullet there. But for the disciples and the believers in Jesus, Good Friday was a tragic thing, a devastating thing, life back to normal. It's not at all what they wanted because they believed that he was the Messiah. It's what those two disciples said, leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus because it was over, so they're leaving and they're telling Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. We thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We thought that he was the one who was going to change everything. And now they're simply devastated and afraid, locked up in a room. But then, dun, dun, dun. Chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was another earthquake, violent earthquake, because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Picture that in your mind now. Put your thinking caps, your imagination caps on. Descends from heaven, approaches the tomb, rolls back the stone, somehow crawls up there and sits on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow and the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men and so of course the angel told the women don't be afraid because i know that you are looking for jesus who was crucified he is not here for he is risen can you imagine being this angel i mean think about this for a second We know that there are millions and millions and millions of angels in the heavens. And so when God says, uh, okay, I need someone to go to, can you imagine millions of hands? Pick me! And he gets chosen to go and tell and give the news for the first time anywhere in the world, he is risen. Oh my goodness. Just as he said, I wonder if we're as happy to tell the news as he probably was. Come and see the place where he lay. Check it out. (laughs) Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there. You'll see him. You will. Listen, I've told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, (laughs) Jesus met them and said, Howdy. And they came up and, can, can you imagine? They'd seen him hanging. They'd heard him scream. And here he is. Can you imagine how happy they are? They just fall at his feet. Just wrapping their arms around his legs. Just worshiping. And Jesus told them, don't be afraid. I just picture him just like putting hands on their shoulders. Don't be afraid. And you heard what the angel said. Now go, go and tell my, dis- my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Okay, so you know what we need right now? 
We need the Holy Spirit to come on this place so that your response to this isn't. (sighs) Yeah, I heard that before. So your response isn't boredom with the most powerful thing that's ever happened in the entire world, in all of history. Have you ever had something absolutely crazy happen to you? Like some momentous event that, that absolutely surprised you and blew you away. Maybe it happened 5, 10, 25 years ago. And then, and then you meet someone for the first time and you tell that story again, you know, when you're getting to know someone and, and you're sharing kind of the events of your lives. And, and there was some huge thing that happened to you in your life. And you, you tell them that story and, and you get all excited again, don't you, when you're telling the story? Like you tell it with passion and joy and you just want them to be so happy and involved and That's the feeling that I've been praying all week would happen for me and would happen for you when you think of this story and tell it to someone else. Like you were there. Like it was that you were there with the women at the tomb and and that this would be real to you, that it wouldn't just be black ink on white paper, but that it would be alive. Oh, it's happening right now. I got goosebumps. Oh, Oh, here we go. That you would be, that this story would be alive to you. The craziness of this story. The amazingness of this story. I mean, come on. Let's just admit that we believe some pretty crazy and far out things. Violent earthquake, lightning-like angel that causes battle-hardened Roman legionnaires to wet their loincloths. A rolled back stone, he is not here. The man who three days before had been crucified and buried is risen from the dead, approaches women, and at this cataclysmic moment in the history of the world, a man risen from the dead, meeting people for the first time out of the grave, says, Howdy. (laughs) This is nuts! (laughs) This is, I mean, it's glorious. But it's crazy. And the women are afraid. They're panicked and afraid. Have you ever wondered why that is? Part of the point of the resurrection stories is that a new world has begun. A new world. This changes everything and nothing can ever be the same again. And and I wonder if, if maybe they're not sure they're ready for that. I mean, maybe that's where the fear comes from. It's like those moments when maybe you're lying in your bed on a, on a Saturday morning. Has this ever happened? Okay, so you're lying in your bed on a Saturday morning. You get up, you know, you're still in your PJs. You make your way out to the kitchen and, you know, you got some really good bed head going. You got sleep in your eyes. You haven't even brushed your teeth yet. I mean, your, your breath is like from the crypt. You get some coffee going, and then you sit down. You sit down on the couch, and you're looking out the the picture windows. Like, I I can look out this big window we got there, right on 524, Poncha. And you're just kind of settling in and just all your morning glory. And the doorbell rings. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) and if you're at my house, you look out, and you see them, and you see them seeing you, there's nowhere to hide, <laughs> right? And what grips you in that moment? Panic. 
because I'm not ready to breathe my crypt-like breath all over you this morning. And I, you didn't, this is an, un, you're doing a popover on me. At the resurrection of Jesus, new creation has broken into the world. It has begun. And they weren't ready. They weren't expecting him to actually rise from the dead, despite the fact that he had told them. And maybe they're saying, what are, what are we going to do now? And I think that still happens when people are confronted with this story, this account, this, this historical thing that happened and was attested to and is proven and verified. It means that something cataclysmic has happened in this world and maybe you're here today and you don't feel ready for it. And there's a sense of panic. Like if this is true, what do I do now? And friends, it almost gets worse in one sense because, because what this means, what it means that he has risen from the dead, just as he said, verse 6, is that he has proven that all that he has said is true. All of it. I told you this very recently in a sermon, but I want to say it again because it's, it's so foundational to my faith, particularly in times of doubt. My kids have asked me over the years as we've been, you know, we raised our kids in a, in a home that believes in Jesus. Susan and I praying, right? We do this, don't we parents? Like every day, make them believe. Cause them to see Jesus. Help them to own this faith that we own, this grace that you've given to us. Impart it to them. And by God's grace, he's done that in each of our kids. But as they have grown in their faith, there comes that moment for each of them when they doubt. There, there's always a moment when they doubt. And it, if we're honest, there's multiple moments like that for us in our Christian lives, right? Amen. Just be honest about that with each other. And there's going to be a time. There was a time when they would, each child would come to me and they would say, how can you believe? Like, is he, is he really real? And my response to every one of my kids has always been, I believe because he rose from the dead. No other leader of any other religion can say this. They are all dead. Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, they all died. They all went into graves, never to be seen again, but not Jesus. Jesus died. He went into a grave and he rose and he was seen by women and disciples and 500 witnesses and by the Apostle Paul who, while he was alive, said, go and talk to them. They're still alive. Hear the stories. So that's why I believe. Because Jesus is like no other man that has ever lived. And he is worthy of my trust and my belief and my faith. And because I believed he saved me. He saved my life. Whew. Wow. And here's what could be upsetting to some, both then and now. Because of this, because of that truth, everything has changed. This changes everything. You see, the chief priests understood that 
It's why they acted like they did on Saturday, trying to make sure the tomb was secure. It's why on the first Easter Sunday, they're paying off guards to try and get out a counter story to the truth because they don't want everything to change. They don't want everything to be different. The religious leaders understood as well. Pilate understood. Rome understood. Even Caesar as Lord, right? The whole Roman world said, Caesar is Lord. They understood that there was another man who had risen from the dead and was saying, he was now Lord and King. The disciples and the Jews and the centurion and his soldiers understood nothing can be the same in the face of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It threatens, in a sense, their lives because it changes everything. And this is what changes people's lives. This story. Stepping into this story. When we understand that it's true and that it actually happened and that Jesus is real and so are his teachings, you cannot go back to the way that you were living. Not fully. If he is risen from the dead, you can't be the same as you were before. If he is risen from the dead, you have, listen, you have to listen to him. Why wouldn't you listen to him? if he is risen from the dead. The way we thought. If you got saved by Jesus later in life, you remember the way things were before him. The way that you thought things were supposed to be. Huh. And now here he is. In all of his resurrection, glory, Showing us how to live, where to take your sorrows, where to bring your sin, where to go if you are lost without hope and feel no place to begin, where to find love that lets mercy come in, where to see the ashes of your hollowed out life burst forth in beauty, where to find grace so free that washes over you and recreates you, where to experience endless love, where to be released from your chains and be a prisoner no more, where to have your debts canceled and your freedom granted to sing, free, free, forever I'm free, Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yes, I'm free, free forever, amen. When death was erected and my life began. Isn't that what you're saying? In Jesus. That's where all of that happens. In him. And all of that is beautiful and glorious and it's why we celebrate But it also means his death and resurrection means that our lives, while there will be things that remain when we grow one step closer to Jesus, you don't have to give up egg bake, cinnamon rolls, coffee or OJ. There are some things that Jesus is going to talk to you about and he's going to get up in your grill and say are going to have to change. Things that you're going to have to give up. That can't be the same. You can't go on living as you did exactly before Jesus. You know, I was listening to an interview this past week between Jordan Peterson, some of you may have heard of him, and Constantine Kisson. Uh, Mr. Kisson is a pretty famous guy with a very popular YouTube show, and 
He's a Russian-British satirist and social commentator. He writes on censorship and woke culture and the increasing craziness of our times. He's a really fascinating guy, actually. He's done speeches in front of British Parliament and at Oxford University that have gone viral, seen by over 100 million people around the world. And it was fascinating to listen to these two guys who are so much smarter than me and to listen to them discuss and debate some of the more hotly contested and controversial issues of our time. Issues like, for example, transgenderism and, and climate change. Spent a fair amount of time on that in their conversation. I was intrigued to listen how they talked about those two particular issues in religious terms. They were both able to discern, and, and as far as I can tell, neither of them, well, I know Mr. Kisson does not, but I don't think Jordan Peterson is yet a follower of Jesus. I think he's wrestling with Jesus. But they're both able to discern that these two issues of transgenderism and climate change have this, they, they talked about them in religious terms because in the absence in our culture of a belief in God and of that kind of divine authority and a structured religious authority that people submit themselves to, they notice then a vacuum is created and a vacuum must be filled. And so new systems of faith spring up around things like human sexuality and climate. But what they also discerned was that there isn't enough of a center of gravity in those counterfaith systems because the guidelines and authority are coming from humans themselves. And who gets determined to determine who makes the rules? because that is eventually going to break down. And so Mr. Kisson was willing to recognize that religion and Christianity in particular is a necessary good to human structures and cultures. It brings a positive influence on a world that is otherwise out of control, a world that must recognize that it will never be fully the way that we'd like it to be because it's fundamentally flawed and imperfect, a world where we have to do just the best that we can and hope for the best possible outcome. That was his conclusion. And then here's the really shocking thing he said. He said he couldn't make himself believe in Jesus or God or the whole idea of Christianity. Further, the, the reason that he couldn't bring himself to do that is because he just couldn't see the requirement of it. He could, he could see the good of the system, but he couldn't see the, necess the necessity of a sovereign. He couldn't find a compelling reason to believe. He couldn't see the need to change his thinking personally in that way. So my question for you is, if you were there in that interview with Mr. Kisson, what would you say to him? You see, I think that Jesus confronts Mr. Kisson and confronts us on the basis of the crucifixion and then his resurrection. And he does this in the aftermath of a pandemic and all the ethnic and political and economic upheaval in our culture that has come in its wake with continuing waves of upheaval still rolling out, which have opened up the way. They've opened up the way for us to respond as maybe we never have before because maybe our normal needs to change. All right, maybe you didn't hear me. Maybe our normal needs to change. See, I think what I would tell him is exactly what I told my children when they doubted in Jesus. Constantine, 
You need to reckon with the truth that Jesus died and then he rose again. And so while I agree with you that you can't make yourself believe any more than I can make myself believe, maybe you need to open up to the possibility that the things that a man who rose from the dead has taught and proclaimed are worth changing your mind for. And listen, I get, I get that this can be scary. Like your normal getting changed, I get that that can be scary. And I get it because I see it right here in the text. While the resurrection was happening, there's fear. Did, did you see it in the story? Verse eight. So departing from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. I, you know what I love about the Bible? I love that the Bible understands the complexity of human emotions. That the whole range of human emotions is right here in the scriptures and in this story. How we can both have fear and joy in exactly the same moment. Like when I'm going down a hill on Monarch Mountain, fear <laughs> and joy. Right? It's possible. The reason for joy in this moment is obvious. Jesus is alive. The one they loved so deeply, had watched die so horribly, has returned to them. But why fear? The well, one answer that we've given is that they and we maybe don't feel ready for the new creation and everything about to change. We feel panicked about that. But I, I wonder if there's even more beneath this fear. Might it be that they weren't sure how every detail of their lives after this cataclysmic event was going to work out? <laughs> Isn't that what we're faced with at this Easter moment, at this moment in our nation? That we're not sure how every detail of our lives is going to work out? Which is just a reminder for us to understand that we're never sure However, if, you, if you're sure about how every detail of your life is going to work out, I'd really like to talk, about, talk with you about my investment strategy. <laughs> We're not. But here's what we do know. Here's what is absolutely certain in the midst of all the uncertainty of this world and our lives in it. At the center of an event that changes everything, including us, is the God-man named Jesus. You see, the cataclysmic event of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which God used to change everything for all humanity, offers us, listen, the resurrection power that was there is offered to us in Jesus. That power is there for us to change. That, a power for us to be able to move forward. A power even to overcome death ourselves. It was at that moment when death truly was arrested, like Jill did, and our lives began. Your life and the potential of your life and the potential of a new life. That's why, that's why Jesus wanted, wanted them to meet him in Galilee. He wanted to give them further instructions of what their lives would look like <laughs> after the resurrection. Look at it. Verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Oh, we don't have time to unpack that. I would love to, but right there, some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh my goodness, there is so much here to talk about. Maybe we should have just done a two-parter, like part one, breakfast, part two. (laughs) We don't have time to go over all of these words that change everything for us. We can't flesh it all out. But that's really not the objective of any one service. It's never an objective of mine. Well, if I'm honest, I try and make it an objective of mine to explain everything in a text. But that's just silly because it's a lifelong pursuit to understand what Jesus is saying here. This is a, listen, you all get the joy. Okay, here's your mission should you choose to accept it. Take Matthew 28 and spend the rest of your life on the adventure of discovering exactly what it means for you. There's joy in that. And then, not just for you, but help someone else grow one step closer to Jesus in that because we can't do this without community and other people gathered around us. Don't get in the echo chamber of your own thoughts about Jesus. Open up. Okay, but here's, here's a place we could start with this text. First, Jesus says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is present with us right now. He will never leave us ever, which is a great truth. But what's it mean? It's not just an anthem, right? Like, what does it mean tomorrow when you're at work or taking care of the kids, changing a diaper, running errands, doing chores, thinking about the direction of your life? What does it mean that he's with you? What does it mean that he rose from the dead? How does Resurrection Sunday translate into the day after on Monday? I'm a fairly driven person. If my wife were here, she'd have fallen off her chair. (laughs) And in Strength Finders lingo, my personality is marked by words like maximizer, focus, which means I find myself thinking a great deal about how to make progress in pretty much everything. How to move forward, how to make it better, how to get better. I can tend towards perfectionism. And if I'm honest, it's, it's actually pretty exhausting. You see, an ironic twist on perfectionism is that it can actually paralyze you because it can create a fear of getting moving. Because you know if I, because here's the thought, you know, if I don't do this perfectly, you know, Matthew 28, 16 and following, or whatever this thing is, if I don't do this perfectly, then, you know, why start at all? Because if I don't start, then I won't screw it up. Earlier this week, I remembered something that I'd read about this kind of thinking. Read it a few months months ago in a book 
by one of the wisest and gentlest souls I know, Pastor Ray Ortland. My son Nehemiah and I had been going through his book, studying it together once a week, uh, his book called The Death of Porn. And he writes it in the style of letters to a son. And in one of the letters, he's encouraging this possibility of progress. Here's what he says. Remember, he's writing a letter. Your part is basically simple. It's not easy, but simple. Just get going. Stop doing nothing and start doing something. And your something is whatever you can do for now. Just settle into that confidence. As you step out and get involved, all along the way, the risen Jesus will keep giving you everything you need for building his new world. Yes, you'll pay a price. Yes, sometimes you'll fail. Mr. Perfection, crazy wacko dude. Or you'll feel like you're failing. But his smile is upon you. You'll be able to keep going and keep going and keep going and never quit because you are on the right side of history. Not because of your resolve, but because of his resurrection. Your time is now, not 10 years from now. Your task is before you, not on some distant horizon. I am confident about your future because of his future. He is why you are successful. Listen, before you even move a muscle. Oh, come on now. Did you hear that? He is why you are successful before you even move a muscle. Who among us thinks like that? You just see all the reasons why it's just going to be a phenomenal. Maybe I I shouldn't project on you. Maybe that's just me. You see these reasons for failure. And Ray is trying to encourage us. Listen, this is what the resurrection means. You're successful before you even move move a muscle. So go ahead and accept his call to action. Whatever he asks you to do. So the question is, are we willing to believe this tomorrow? Because I think it changes everything. That Jesus is why we are successful before we even move a muscle. That all our movement is not due to our resolve, but his resurrection. That the progress, improvement, and movement is certain and sure before we've even progressed, improved, or moved. And then Ray goes on elaborating on exactly why we're celebrating Good Friday and Easter. Listen, Jesus won the decisive battle for this whole world by his death and resurrection 2,000 years ago. His death looked like a defeat, but he came roaring back with new life forever. And listen, do you know what that means? Who can stop him now? (laughs) His final victory is inevitable, a whole new world of nobility. Yes, yes, we're still in the fight right now, and it's hard. Can I get an amen? It's hard. Oh, my goodness. I am so tired of being a sinner. It's hard. This is a broken down world. Don't walk out there thinking things are going to go well. They're not. I got news flash. The world stinks sometimes. But you are on the winning side. <laughs> So no sacrifice is pointless. 
every sacrifice contributes. You're serving his powerful cause with his constant help. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So we, listen, listen to this. So we are no longer limited to ourselves. (sighs) Okay, what a freeing and life-giving sentence. You are not limited to yourself. Get out of the box of your own gifts and abilities, strengths and values. You are not limited to you. It is not merely up to us. We don't have to depend on our limited resources, but his unlimited ones. We don't have to depend on our weak efforts, but his omnipotent ones. We don't have to rely on our constrained understanding, but his divine wisdom. Are you, are you tracking with me? Worship team, would you come up? As we step into today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, remember that we are living and fighting for progress in a victory already won. Can you imagine if the Colorado Rockies were able to go on the field, George, and they knew it was going to be 9-0? How would you play? Seriously. You'd just be so free. You wouldn't be worried, right? You'd just go out and you'd just do it. That's what he's holding out for us. That this day is a successful one before we move another muscle because of Jesus. That today we can accept his call to action, whatever he asks of us, because in the asking, he offers his constant help. And who, listen, who can stop the risen conquering king named Jesus? Who can stop him? Not rhetorical. Who can stop him? Well, thank you. Say it like you believe it, brothers and sisters. Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? Church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. Sing. Oh, death, where is your victory? And oh, hell, where is your sting? For Christ has risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. If you haven't yet, with all my hollering up here, come awake. Come awake. Come. Rise up from the grave. Well, rise up and sing it.